Is your faithfulness to me?
Thanks so much for joining us at Galilee Christian Church today, just for being a part of things and for continuing to grow in your faith. We're here if we can bless you or answer any questions, just come alongside you in your faith journey in any way, shape, or form. Thanks for watching the message. Thanks for participating in worship, and we pray God's blessings over you. We appreciate Brian and the team leading this morning, and uh, most of you know by now we are Looking forward to welcoming our, our new worship ministry director, Anna Scheel, who will start here next Sunday. But we've also been immensely blessed by Stephanie Gomez, who's led for us through a lot of seasons of ministry here at Galilee. We appreciate her a ton. This just happened to be the Sunday that she was going to be off, told us about this some time ago. But we are going to celebrate her next week. She'll be up here leading alongside Anna as well. So that'll give us an opportunity to introduce you to Anna officially and to really and truly celebrate Steph because she just blessed us so much. So we'll do that next week. Just wanted you to know what's going on and keep you in the loop. Speaking of what's going on, middle school students, this is the time for you, middle school momentum. Blake's waiting for you right back there in the regular spot. You can head that way with Blake. Y'all, we are talking this morning. We're taking, this is just kind of a one and done message for this Sunday to take just a minute to look back really over the previous year but not just the previous year, but honestly, today, we're going to look back over 153 years. So we're going to be here a while. <laughs> just kidding, okay? Just kidding. But we are going to look back over 153 years. We're just going to do that kind of quickly. So we're going to look back. We're going to celebrate everything that God has done. And we're going to look forward to what he has for us next. Because we believe that God is nowhere near done with us. And at the same time, we believe we can learn from his faithfulness through previous generations. We're going to actually take that all the way back into the Old Testament. So pray with me, and we'll do that together this morning, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. You are so truly faithful. God, we pray that you will bless us as we open your word, as we seek to grow. Lord, as we look back on our vision plan over this past year and see all that you have done, God, we want to give you all glory, all praise, because it's all due to you. And so, Father, I pray that as we look back and then look forward, I pray that you will guide us and make us those markers, make our lives the markers of what's next that you are doing in your church. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. So, hey, listen, I don't know about you, but there's times, certain times in my life where very core memories for me are tied in to something physical that happened. Like there was a physical thing that happened multiple times in my life where I have these memories built up around it. I'll explain what I mean. One of the things about some very foundational moments in my life, they're marked by a physical event. And, and that physical event is me picking up my wife. So here's all the way back to my wedding day, right? All the way back to my wedding day, there's me standing in front of the church with my bride, my new bride. And that was an exciting day, and I was lifting her up, and we were celebrating that moment. Now, this is the only one that I have a picture of, but I could think back to some other ones that were really foundational. I remember the day we got into our first house, and I picked her up, and I carried her across the threshold, old school style, right? But I did that, and it was an awesome moment. That physical event is one of the kind of markers of that foundational moment. The other one that comes to mind 
The other one that comes to mind is my wife, I was sitting in my office back at Greensboro Christian Church, the church I was at before I came here, and we got a knock at the office door, and I went and opened the door, and there was my wife. And initially, I thought something was wrong, because she didn't really stop by the office that often. And so I, I, she asked me to step out, and I stepped outside, and she looked at me, and, and I was like, oh man, what's going on? And she said, I'm pregnant. And I was like, and I lifted her up and I spun her around and so those amazing moments are marked by that now when I go to try to pick up my wife still today she goes like a slinky on the floor she's like don't try to pick me up I don't I think maybe she just I'm not as young and you know strong as I once was I guess she thinks I can't I can't handle it of course I can I'm gonna I'm gonna try that later today we'll see how that goes (laughs) I probably will have a mark right here on my face next week right Uh, Listen, I tell you this with a purpose. I'm going to be sharing several things today with you. You're going to have to hang with me. I promise you there's a deep point to everything I'm going to share with you this morning. And I am truly excited because I've loved to watch how God has shaped this message really over the last year. And like I said, really over the last 150 or so years. But let's go even further back into that time period of the Hebrews, the followers of the one true God. You remember their story all the way back to the time of Moses. And you remember that they were in slavery in Egypt, right? And God sets them free, and he uses Moses to guide them. And what is the pivotal physical moment of that whole story? It's the parting of the Red Sea, right? They come to the Red Sea, here is this thing that doesn't seem like it can be overcome, now we're stuck, Pharaoh and all his chariots are chasing us and we're all going to die, except God has provided a way for them through it, right? So when you get then, and remember, God was not just taking them away from danger, he was leading them to something, and that something was the promised land. It was their hopeful future. Okay, stay with me on this. So then, when you get 40 years later, because what happened next, most of you know, the people of God wander in the desert desert for 40 years. Most of that was their own fault, because they were boneheaded, okay? And they didn't do what God told them to do, and they were difficult for Moses, and so God basically said to them, look, and, and then eventually Moses messed up, and so God said to all of them, None of you are going to, in this generation, enter the promised land. It will be the next generation, but none of you will enter it. The the next generation will, but you won't. Not even you, Moses. But Joshua, Moses' right-hand man, Joshua would enter the promised land. And so when you come to Joshua chapter 3 and 4, and mainly we're looking at chapter 4 today, What happens in chapter 3 is the people of God are finally led after 40 years of waiting. And they're led to this pivotal moment not at the Red Sea, but at the Jordan River. Which separated them from the promise of that promised land that was laid out in front of them. And the Jordan River, if you see the Jordan River in some places today, it's not really that wide. It wouldn't wouldn't be that crazy to go across it. However, this was probably a wider portion of it, and it was at flood stage. So it was quite significant for them to cross over. And so God uses uses this pivotal moment that goes back to their foundational memory as a people, 
right? This critical moment in their past to lead them hopefully into their future. They get down to the river and again it's at flood stage. It looks hopeless. The promised land's right over there. What are we going to do? And Joshua with the leading of God leads the people and he sends the priests out into the river with the ark. And he has them go step down into the river. And he says, when they step down into the river, but not until they step out on faith into the river. But when that happens, then the waters will be rolled away. And it's said that the waters backed up all the way up into another town. They just stopped flowing in that spot. And they were able to cross. Now, I I set the story up for you. Let's actually read what happens here. Chapter 4 is is the description of what has happened. And you'll notice that it, it kind of jumps around a little bit back and forth in telling the story. But hang with me on this. Joshua 4, 1 through 9 says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Remember, there were the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? And tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. So, these were probably pretty big stones, okay? It's a little stone. They wouldn't have had to put it on their shoulder. Take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Remember, the presence of God went with them in the Ark of the Covenant. So this was a reminder for them that it was God's presence that was making the way for them where there was no way. And that does not just happen in the crossing of the Red Sea or the crossing of the Jordan. That happened time after time again in battles they fought, in food that was provided, in water that came from rocks. I mean, I could go on and on of what the Lord's presence had meant to those people. Okay, so stay with me. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones now are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Verse 8. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over, them, over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan, at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, I share all of that story with you to remind you of a couple of fundamental truths that are going to tie into what we're doing today. It's, it's important that we look back and remember, because we learn from the past, but we don't want to live in it. Okay, We learn from the past and we gain inspiration for how we will live in the future. I don't know if you've noticed, but our church is thriving post-COVID. God has been good to us in more ways than one. And I'm not just talking about the number of people here. That's been an encouragement. But our church is thriving in health. And I look at a couple of fundamental reasons for why this is. I can look back and see why this is. And not just back to, again, here, the near 
history, but much further history that we'll get into further in this message. But in near history, I can point very clearly to us as leaders in our church saying, look, we know that coming out of a post-COVID recovery time, we're going to have to do some very intentional things to be able to see our church thrive in the way we believe God wants it to thrive. He's given us responsibility to see that happen. And so really, very quickly, three things have been a part of that foundationally. And the first one is we have a people who pray. We are a praying people, a praying church, and and committed Christians that are praying. You cannot make a big enough deal about that. And that has been true in this church for a very, very long time. This church has a rich history, partially because we're a people that pray. The other thing is, again, we are a people of faith. I mean, there's a people of deep faith here who love Jesus. And that might seem like an obvious thing to you, but it isn't always obvious in every church. And so I celebrate it because I know that it's such a critical element to why we see thriving. And the other core reason, and it's what we're going to talk about mainly today, it's vision. The Bible's clear. Without vision, the people perish or the people struggle, depending on your translation. We have a vision. We've had a vision for where Jesus is taking our church. And we've been able to see, if you remember, some of you, most of you, were here last year about this time. And we laid before you the vision for what we wanted to see in the coming year. God, here's what we believe you're calling us to accomplish. We laid this before the church. And we've been able to see God bless us over and over and over again and help us fulfill every, nearly everything on that list. Why am I talking about this today? Well, I hope it was clear from the story in Joshua why I'm talking about it today. Because markers matter. These stones of remembering, these living stones of our faith, set up and observed by the generations, by you and me in this generation, they encourage us. They remind us of God's faithfulness. This is what they were trying to do with the stones that were taken from the Jordan River. So when we look back at what God has done so far, you can show the first slide. When we look back, you remember us, most of you remember us putting this in your hands. We wanted to continue to bring hope to our community. Increasing opportunities for co-preaching. You've seen that with Brennan. You had it last week with Brian blessing us with a great message. Those guys have been doing amazing work. Brian, leading our young adult ministry, our 20-somethings ministry that's thriving under his leadership as he continues as well to lead our youth ministry and bringing Blake on as a part of that to work alongside him. God has just really blessed that. Next slide. So these are things we celebrate. Our staffing plan, solidifying our mission and vision. Like, hey, we, we are here to advance the gospel, make disciples and serve all, and we're going to get after it. And it's what we've been doing, and it's a part of why we're thriving. Our youth worship, we moved that to Wednesday night, and we brought our students in here with us. And I cannot thank our students enough about how well they handled that transition 
and really critically, how important they have been to serving in our church. There are students serving all around our church today because we were able to better incorporate them into this time. And I'm telling you, it's a core reason why we are thriving. Our area school partnerships are going awesome. We've been able to have a great connection with a couple of schools so we can love them and partner with them and try to meet needs. Our My Five, it's what we focused on last year where we were praying over people. We focused that mainly around the Easter season, inviting people in. Had a great Easter. It had those folks in for a breakfast, got to meet some people, and a lot of those families, right, we've seen come and be a part of our church, which is awesome. Uh, our preschool and expansion and relaunch was a massive thing that we did. That was a big deal on our calendar and a big deal that was a part of our vision. They're meeting here behind us now in our new Ed Wing. That transition has gone awesome, and that's, that preschool is thriving now with even more students and, again, making a difference in our community. Same thing for our homeschool partnership. They're continuing to meet here on Mondays, and that's going great. They meet here one day a week, but, man, when they come, there's a whole bunch of them. And then our I-9 Sports Partnership, another way we're just trying to do something simple to love this community, offering a place for kids and families to be here on our campus and know that they're welcome here on our campus and welcome in our church. So everything there, we've been able to accomplish that by the glory and to the glory of God. Don't you think God deserves a hand for that? Because he did it. I think he does. Listen, I, I, I want to celebrate this because this is a marker. We're laying down some stones, y'all. And it's not me, it's us. This is what we're doing in our time. We're laying these stones. As we look back and we look forward to what's next, the next thing on there is the private Christian school we believe God is calling us to do. Y'all, I didn't know how to do that in 2022. I still don't know how to do it in 2023. So that nothing has changed on that. I don't know how God's going to answer that, but if he's calling us to it right, he's going to provide what's needed. I've already had some conversations after first service that just shows me like God is, God is stirring something up there, but I'm just going to trust his timing on that because I know that's what's most important. I want to remind you, I want to remind you that as you and I get this opportunity to lay our stones in this new season, Remember what verse 9 said? Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, they're not there to this day, but they were there to the day when this was written. They were there for a very long time, for generations. And they reminded the people about what God had done. They celebrated his faithfulness. But it's really critical that you and I this morning remember that there are generation after generation that has come before us at Galilee Christian Church that has shown us the way, that has laid down their stones, right, to help us be where we are, to the glory and by the glory and the faithfulness of God. You may not know this, but this church exists. It was founded partially because of one of the most notable women in Georgia history. You may not have known that when you came in here this morning. Her name is Emily Tubman. Emily Tubman was born in the late 1700s. I'm about to give you all a little history lesson, so hang with me on this, okay? I promise you there's a point. Emily Tubman, born in the late 1700s, was uh, pretty well off, but not 
again, very rich, but, but pretty well off, born into a good family in Kentucky. She wintered in Augusta, Georgia, which is how she came to be connected to Georgia. She met her husband, Richard, who was originally from England and had moved here and became a landowner of some significance in Georgia. They were married for 17 years. Emily became a Christian and ultimately got involved with the Christian churches, which you're sitting in one today. And the reason she did that is because she had gotten so tired of all of the, the division in the other churches she had been a part of. She loved the clear message of the restoration movement, of which our churches are a part. That we want to just do things in Bible ways. We want to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where it's silent. right? We want to believe and know that the Word of God is true and we're going to follow it to the best of our ability. And that's simply what's going to guide us. That really resonated with Emily. And so when she, she married Richard, they were married for 17 years, and Richard passed away. He, he was only 51 years old when he passed. She was still in her early 40s. And so she finds herself now having a lot of money. But she didn't stop there, because one thing, it was pretty rare in that day and age for a woman then to have been the, the, the chief executor then of the will, to have the responsibility of that. But she not only took it and just kind of spent the money she had, no, her brother was a Yale graduate. She went to him, she got a little advice, and then she went out there from on her own, and she doubled that money. She doubled it. And that money grew in great significance. Her business ventures grew in great significance. And her heart and desire to see people, one, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, grew with an unbelievable explosiveness because she supported other missionaries she supported other missionaries that were going around and were planting churches she had a she had an amazing heart when you read about emily who oh by the way all you have to do is go visit augusta right now and on a city square you will see a statue of emily tubman she's also in the georgia women's hall of distinction pretty amazing woman she also, and this is pre-Civil War when she's got the vast majority of her money, pre-Civil War, she was an, ab an abolitionist. She wanted to see slavery in. And the enslaved peoples that had been a part of she and Richard's uh, property, she wanted to see them set free. And as a matter of fact, Richard had made it a part of his will. And so she absolutely fought to do that and got all kinds of pushback and it was not an easy thing to do. Matter of fact, they tried to make a $10,000 donation to the University of Georgia with the condition that they would free her enslaved peoples. And they declined it. They declined it because they would not, the legislature would not see that happen. But she fought and she fought for it. And so she went to the 144 enslaved peoples that were a part, uh, uh, again, of their property at the time. And she offered them a choice. They could stay and they could work for Emily and her family with a regular job and a piece of property. They could do that or she would pay for them to go back to Liberia where they had come from. And so 66 of them chose to go back and she paid for it. Eventually one of them got homesick and wanted to come back to where they had grown up she paid for them to come back and oh by the way and this is just an interesting aside 
the grandson of one of those folks that had gone back, one of those enslaved people that had gone back, ultimately in the 1970s became the president of Liberia. Emily was an exceptional woman at an exceptional time where she was putting down the stones of her faith that built into something pretty amazing. Emily, again, had a passion for the gospel, and so she supported multiple preachers that were preaching the gospel around the North Georgia area and were planting churches. The most notable of those preachers was a man named Philip F. Lamar. Philip F. Lamar was known as the great evangelist. It is said that he baptized about 2,000 people in the lifespan of his ministry. He planted multiple churches because Emily Tubman gave about $30,000, which is about half a million dollars in today's money. She gave about $30,000 towards funding these preachers to be able to go and do this. And so Philip F. Lamar, known as the great evangelist, preached in this area, planted several churches, and his life and his ministry is recounted by another notable preacher. Let me just read you a little bit of this. I promise I'm trying not to bore you. I know some of you care about this and some of you don't, but I hope you will all hang with me because I promise this is going somewhere. Listen to what one notable preacher said about Philip F. Lamar. He said, there's few congregations across the United States that can rejoice in 140 years as a congregation. And of those, almost none are growing. Galilee, that's this church, is an exception to that rule. Not only are we an old congregation, but we are one of the larger congregations in the state of Georgia with a potential for constant growth. On this 140th anniversary as a congregation, I thought it'd be great to look back at the beginnings of our church and share what we know about the very first preacher, Philip F. Lamar. Philip Lamar was no ordinary preacher. His father was Baptist, his mother was Methodist, and he was especially influenced religiously by his mother. Later, along with his brother, they came to, again, the part of the Restoration Movement, like Emily Tubman did. I told you about that earlier. And much of the assistance for their church planning came from Emily Tubman, a very wealthy Christian woman who lived in Augusta. During her lifetime, she not only helped Brother Lamar, but also gave over $30,000 to churches and charities. She built several Christian churches on her own in Georgia and assisted colleges in West Virginia and throughout the West. Back in 1871, Lamar was selected as the Georgia State Evangelist. I didn't even know that was a thing. Georgia State Evangelist. Traveled over 1,800 miles. Preached 51 times in 21 places and organized two congregations. Baptized, like I told you earlier, over 2,000 people. In one report, Lamar reported that there were now over 600 Christians meeting in the northeast Georgia area. Philip F. Lamar died on September 3, 1878, and is buried in our church cemetery, right up here on the hill. You can go see it, and if you do, you'll see his stone, his tombstone, and you will notice that basically the only thing on that other than his name is very simply these words, he was a man of God. And he was. And oh, by the way, that recounting in history by a notable preacher is by the notable preacher Tom Plank, my predecessor. Tom was uh, the, the pastor here for 50 years, as most of you know, and he's still here today, and we're thankful. There's a lot of people 
that have put down stones. There's a lot of people have put these stones of marking. John Lewis Elder is the man who donated the land that this church is built on. The Johnson family later donated more, which is the part of the, that this particular piece of the church is built on. You're sitting in the middle of it. Six men and eight women back in 1870 became the charter members of Galilee Christian Church. Philip F. Lamar preached here for eight years, and I think Tom started right after that. There were a few other pastors in between, but most of you know Tom was here for 50 years. Praise be to God, 50 years. And so, friends, the rest is history. That is a long line of living stones. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. And they are there to this day. Today, you and I look back over those years. We look back over our most recent year that we got to, the vast majority of us, experience together. That we get to see these stones of marking. That we get to see God's faithfulness. And so yes, we look back. And we celebrate. But we will never stop looking forward, church. Let's never stop looking forward at how God will use us next. My prayer is that we will be the stones that a generation to come after us will look upon and say, Hey, that was a generation that was committed to the gospel. That was committed to advancing the gospel and making disciples and serving their community so they knew they were loved. And invited in. They didn't, they didn't just hole up in their four walls. No, they got out into the community. They got to know people. They built relationships. They served the community. One of the things we're going to do in 2023 to make that clear again to our community is bring back our Serve the City event. We're going to bring that back because we believe that's going to be a critical piece of our vision going forward and a part of our mission that people know we love them, and we're serving them outside of these four walls. So here's what I say in conclusion. What stones will you lay down this year? What part will you have to play in the next history that's written of Galilee Christian Church? And of your Christian walk? Will you be able to say, I invested time and talent and treasure to the glory of God and his mission in his church? I was a part of something bigger than myself. And look, here's the truth. They're probably not going to put a statue up of you. It's probably not going to happen. But that does not mean that your part, your piece to play in what God is going to do next here, doesn't matter. Joshua didn't have them get one stone out of the river. He had them get 12. Those 12 stones were representative of not just one of the tribes, not just two of the tribes, not just a few of the most prominent tribes. No, of all the people, all 12, that represented all of the people of God. And they all added up to form a marker of what God had done and what he was going to do in that promised land. 
So may we be a people who work together in this coming year and in these coming years to totally give ourselves over to the purposes and the plans of God. May we be found faithful. Our church will continue to thrive, not so much because of me or you, but because of Jesus using us. Passionate members, solid proclaiming of the word of God, and leaders that love Jesus. But it all comes back to the Lord. May this stone, may the stones that you and I get to lay down that are a part of our individual stories, may they be grounded on the bedrock that is the cornerstone. Jesus Christ, our Lord. May he be lifted up above all. May we listen to him and follow him and dream big and pray big and trust big. And be found to be a faithful stone laid down in this generation to his glory. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for opportunity. What an unbelievable opportunity we have. We get to be a part of this bigger story. Something much bigger than us. Lord, we, we don't deserve to be a part of the story, God. But you've called us into it. You've called us here with a purpose. God, I pray that you will use us. I pray that in every way, Lord, in your church, you would be glorified. We are not here to build a bigger church. God, we are here to build a bigger faith and a healthy church that thrives not by the hand or the will of man, but by the hand of God and the will of you, O oh Father. I pray that you will lead us and guide us in every way. Help us to do what it is you call us to do. We love you, Jesus. Let us be your hand and feet. Let us lay down our stones. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, listen, I, I just pray that if there's a single person here today that maybe you've sat in the midst of this message and you've said, well, I'm trying to figure out where this applies to me because I'm, I'm not a Christian yet. And I don't know where my part is going to be in this. I would just lovingly encourage you, don't wait one more day to take up this path of vision and purpose that God means for your life. And you find that very first of all by finding a relationship with Jesus who loves you, who died for you on the cross. That's why we're here. Because we want people to know this message of hope for a dying generation. People that are dying without a relationship with Jesus and are separated with him from him. And we don't want that. We want you to know him. So all you have to do is believe in him in faith. Repent of your sin. Be baptized into Christ, which we can help you do today, and then go live for him. Jump into this thing with us. All of us are just messed up sinners. Every single person in this room is a mess. They might look good. They look like they got it together. We're, we're all a mess, including me. I need Jesus more and more every day, not less. So my prayer is for you that if you've not yet accepted him, hey, we're here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to support you, come alongside you. If there's anything we can do to just, man, just try to encourage you today. Let's stand, y'all. Let's sing this final song. If we can help you, I'll be up here.